Thank you, Andrea. I, I don't quite know uh, what I did to deserve that. Um, maybe I have some ideas, but um, so I'm grateful for your uh, words of endorsement. Thank you. Um, it's great to be up uh, standing before you today. Um, going into the next of our Acts of Courage Acts series, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 today, and verses 1 to 8. And the title that I've given for this preach today is Joy-Filled Courage in the Face of Challenging Circumstances. It was great to have that testimony from Barbara as we um, were going through the worship of how she and Samuel have pushed through to rejoicing in the place of uh, difficult circumstances. And that's really fitting so well with what we want to look at today. So let's just pray and uh, I'll just uh, ask God to come and uh, speak to us. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity today to explore this passage, Lord to see what it meant for the apostles to have courage and joy in the face of difficult circumstances. And Lord, I just pray that as we look at this passage together, won't you come by your Holy Spirit? Lord, I pray that you will speak to each person here, Lord. Lord, that there'll be words of encouragement, words of challenge, words that mean that we will have changed lives as a consequence. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to warn you, we had a, um, a word in the uh, prayer meeting this morning, which was about going to the four corners of the building. So wherever you are today, you're not safe from this word. I believe that God is going to challenge you right from the corners at the back to right uh, to the front to right at the back. So um, hold on to your seats and uh, let's see. So let's read the passage uh, together from Acts uh, chapter 8. And you'll remember this passage we looked last, comes just after where we were last week. Stephen had given the speech to the high priest council. It had been very provocative for them as he challenged them. And their response was actually to then um, to kill him, to stone him. And Alid brought out to us how we were, there was the comparison between their sort of religious spirit and Stephen's heartfelt devotion to God. But the result of that was that the Pharisees uh, were really out to get the Christians. They were out, they'd killed Stephen, they now wanted to kill the rest of these Christians to really try and wipe out uh, this new religion that was coming. So let's read um, from chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in this city. So we can see here this extreme persecution kicking off, particularly directed at those who were closely associated with Stephen. 
and no one was safe, not even in their houses. I don't know, you know, I'm a typical Englishman, an Englishman's home is his castle, isn't it, we say. And um, there's something horrid when the security of your house is breached, isn't it? I remember a time in India when I was living there and um, early one morning some rather unsavoury characters came to my front door, knocked on the door and there I am half-dressed and they're putting their foot in the door and they're leaning on the door. One of the most frightening times of my life. Many of you will have seen that film about Anne Frank during the Second World War. She was a Jewish girl in a Jewish family and um, they were coming to get those people and um, they had a hiding place in the back, I think, of her father's workshop. But then the soldiers came and they were pounding up through the, uh, through the narrow staircases, finding the place, taking them out and then putting them into the concentration camp. Really frightening times. And we see that here, similar sort of level. It says Saul was ravaging the church. That word just sounds horrid, doesn't it, all on its own, ravaging something. Um, I understand that actually the sort of dimensions of that are a brutal and sadistic cruelty. And Paul himself later, after his conversion, says in Acts 26, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted even to foreign cities. This was a time of extreme brutality for the church. Many Christians had to flee, leaving behind their homes, their jobs, everything they knew, and travelling to the other areas around. But it's really interesting, I think, when we look at the way that they were scattered. If you remember, back in Acts chapter 1, when the Spirit came upon them, what was the word? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then here, in Acts chapter 1, they were already in Jerusalem. But what do we read? We read they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Interesting parallel, isn't it? Exactly the same places. And later in Acts chapter 11, we'll read how they went beyond Judea and Samaria actually pushing out into Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and through the Hellenists then that were converted out to the rest of the world. So the persecution that was happening actually led to the direct fulfillment of the prophetic word, place by place, that had been spoken over them. It's a really interesting question, I think, and one we don't know the answer to, whether the gospel would have spread in the same way if there hadn't been persecution. But for the Jews, going to Samaria was a really brave move. They'd actually, um, the the Samaritans were an offshoot from from Jerusalem. They were seen as heretics because of the way they'd interpreted things. And so actually Jews had very little to do with them. So when Philip went down there to preach the gospel, it was a really bold move. Not something that would have easily happened. And 
it's a reality, and I just want to stop a little while just to think about persecution, because persecution has been very much a, a factor in church life throughout the centuries. And I don't know about you, but I often used to feel quite distant from persecution. Um, you know, here in, in Britain, we don't have the same sort of level of persecution that's happening, but at the current times, there seems to be so much happening, and I was just reading, I think the World Evangelical Alliance says over 200 million Christians, 200 million, sorry, making sure you got that, in at least 60 countries are denied fundamental human rights solely because of their faith. ISIS in the Middle East. Again, actually, that's not very far away. Many of you, if you're traveling to relatives around the globe, you'll be changing planes in Dubai, right there in the middle of the Middle East. And ancient Christian peoples there being forced to convert or to suffer punishment. There's a picture I've got here of ISIS defacing one of the churches in Nineveh. And this occurred only in March this year, so two months ago. And it says in February, the month before that, the Islamic State decapitated 21 Egyptian Christians on the shores of Libya. And last month, the militant group kidnapped over 220 Assyrian Christians due to Islamic State violence in both Iraq and Syria thousands of Christians have fled their homes in fear and are now living in displaced persons in the region another example and there are many others I could have chosen from Kenya I don't know if you go to Tesco's sorry I'm allowed to say that I suppose so um, but um, you know if you ask if you dial Tesco's in Kenya you'll see so many of the products there that you're buying Coffee, tea, flowers, fruit, all of those things. But then last month, in April this year, 147 Christians were singled out and killed in Kenya. It's a picture, I think, of Garissa University. Yeah, thank you. On 2nd of April 2015, gunmen stormed the university in Kenya, killing 147 people and injuring 79 or more. The militant group, an Al-Qaeda offshoot, Al-Shabaab, which the government claimed to be from, which the gunman, sorry, claimed to be from, took responsibility for the attack. The gunman took over 700 students hostage, freeing Muslims and killing those who identified as Christians. Now, my aim today is not to particularly alarm you about that, but I think it's important that as Christians we do know what is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world. We can then stand with them, whether in prayer, in finance, or in reaching out to to government through the political systems to voice our concern about these things. There's a lot happening in the world. Persecution is not that far away from us uh, in the world in which we live. And indeed, Matthew 24 tells us that the signs of the end of the age are going going to be that there's more persecution. So as I say, it's not my intention to alarm you, but I do think that on the back of that, it's really important that we continue to pray for our government, for the laws that we sit under, and that actually give us the freedom to practice our religion in the way that we do. So the Bible in John 16 tells us that we must expect trouble in this world. Life won't be all smooth. But God does promise, doesn't he? that he will be with us in every circumstance to sustain us. 
I wonder if you remember the um, illustration of a rope that Sam brought to us one um, Sunday morning here. And he was standing here and there was a great long rope which went right out to the door over the uh, far side over here. And what Sam was saying was that actually if you look at the end of the rope, the binding bit, you know, where they tie all the strands together to stop them unravelling, that's like this little part here that you see. But beyond that and connected to that is the whole of the rest of the rope. And in a sense you could say that that was like our lifespan, our short lifespan relative to the whole of the rest of eternity and the eternal life that we will have in Jesus. We focus very closely, don't we, on a little bit of our life that's happening now, our three score years and ten. But beyond that and the context for all that is that whole span of eternity that goes through. And I think it's just a a helpful picture as we look at the circumstances of our lives, as we try to understand, like me, you're often saying, you know, in these tragic circumstances that we sometimes have, why God? What's happening here? And the reality is that often we won't know the answer to, to that. We won't know why God but we just have to challenge, uh, trust, don't we, that in the context of the whole length of the rope spanning on through eternity, that actually God is working out his plans and his purposes, although we don't necessarily understand that. Just a quote from Rick Warren on suffering, who says, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Sorry about that. Um, Is it comforting? I don't know. I think it probably is. But um, let me read it again. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And he's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. God uses the events of our lives to develop our character, to refine us. And that can be challenging sometimes. It was interesting. We meet as men sometimes on a, a Friday morning. And one of the guys was sharing just the Friday before last about his own personal circumstances of his own personal struggles with illness, of disability in the family, and the challenges that that all brought. But this is a guy who's now working with disabled children uh, in the town here. And you know what? The way that God's changed his heart, he's one of the most fruitful guys that I know. And there are others who work with him and will bear testament that through the circumstances of his life, God has shaped him and moulded him and allowed him then to be so very effective in those circumstances. The Christians in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have understood at the time what was happening. They would have been frightened, confused, perplexed. How can this help to advance the gospel? How can this build the church? But the reality was, as we know, that through the persecution, the kingdom of God was advanced. God was working out his purposes. What do we see in verse 4? We see that as they were scattered, they were still preaching the gospel. In a sense, I think, that we were asking ourselves the other week, how come the church grew so fast And I think the reality was, because everybody was out there talking about this gospel that had changed their lives, not leaving it to one or two, the few anointed evangelists or the one or two leaders out there. The church impacted the city because everyone was involved. 
Philip, as we've seen, went to Samaria, a really bold move. And as a consequence of that, that whole area was changed. We see in verse 6 too that signs and wonders accompanied their message. When the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. It was a key part of the kingdom advancing. And it's important for us too that signs and wonders, the miraculous, are still part of the gospel that we're presenting. We absolutely believe that God heals today. And that can be challenging, can't it? You know, my own wife, Lorraine, you know, she's got hardly any hearing. Now, all sorts of people have prayed for her, you know, kind of notable people and not so notable people. But the end result is she's still struggling through that. Does it mean God can't heal? Absolutely not. Do I understand why he's not chosen to heal her? Absolutely not as well. But do I believe that God can heal? Yes, I do. Absolutely. And as far as I know, I'm going to keep on praying for people and looking for God to heal them. Sometimes in spite of the own circumstances that we go through. I don't really believe it's my right, if you like, to question God or to try and understand why that is. Well, that was interesting to me when we were in Bulgaria and um, praying for some people the other, the other day. I just felt God saying to me, yeah, but look, it says, you know, Jesus sympathized with their weaknesses because he was tempted in the way that we are. And similarly, you know, I felt, oh, maybe just the things we carry just help us to be a little bit more effective in this situation. The end result of their um, talking so boldly was that many people became Christians in that city. They affected the whole city. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to change our nation. We want to change our town. We want to see it different. We want to see hope come where there's hopelessness. But what was their strategy? Quite simple, wasn't it? They preached the gospel. They healed the sick. They freed people from demonic oppression. And that was what led to joy in the city. Many of you will know that I am as keen as anybody on the community activities that we do as a part of the church at work, the sort of reaching out we do through our social programs that show God's love to our desperately hurting town. They're so good, the things that we're doing. But the reality is, if we want to see transformative change come to our town, we've also got to make sure that we're declaring the gospel to them boldly as well. And we want to see that coming through and changes people's lives right across the town. And finally, as we sort of just run through the outline of what the passage tells us, it tells us that the city was changed and there was much joy. Joy was the defining characteristic of the impact they had. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, if you had been persecuted, if you'd had to leave your town, if you'd had to leave your home, if you'd had to leave your job, I wonder how we would be defining you by the time you got to the next town where you're going to try and settle down. You might say relief came or peace came. But actually, the defining characteristic for them was Joy came. Joy came to the city. It wasn't going to be a natural thing for them to do. 
They've been persecuted, they've been ravaged, but actually they were characterized by joy. And so I wanted to try and just sort of understand a little bit more about joy. And um, Andrew, who you know is on staff with us at the moment, something of a Greek scholar, thank goodness, um, and, uh, and just helped me to think of the roots of that joy word, which are around gladness, thanksgiving, appreciation, something that, which comes as a fruit of the Spirit. We know joy but also something that is cultivated as a joyful response as we rejoice in the things that God has done for us. And that link between joy and rejoicing, they are from the same root word as it were. So actually, to be joyful is when we come and we cultivate an attitude of gladness, of thanksgivingness, of thankfulness, sorry, for God's faithfulness to us. We need to be a people who rejoice, and then we will come to be a people who are filled with joy. We can expect, can't we, that joy is one of the signs of receiving good news. It is joyous to know that our sin's forgiven, that our future is secure. But the reality is sometimes that we lose sight of that, don't we? We're kind to get it obscured by the things that happen in our lives. I was interested to read in Psalm 51 where David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If he hadn't lost sight of his joy a little bit, he wouldn't need it restored, would he? Psalm 30 says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And I think it's important to us, we just want to be real, don't we, that circumstances of life are difficult sometimes. Things come that we don't understand. We can lose a bit of our joy, but the reality is we need to work hard to get back to that point of recognising how much God has blessed us, the things that we have to be thankful for, the salvation that he has given us, that as we rejoice in that, So our joy is restored. Wayne Grudem says, The normal heart attitude of a Christian is rejoicing in the Lord and in the lessons of the life he gives us. When we realize that God created us to glorify him, and when we start to act in ways that fulfill that purpose, then we begin to experience an intensity of joy in the Lord that we have never been foreknown. We should have an expectation of joy in our lives. We need to be those who with glad and thankful hearts rejoice in our salvation. And as we do that, we can expect joy to be restored to us. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 talks about joy that is inexpressible. Do you know that joy? Do you know it at that level? It's hard, isn't it? I know sometimes myself, I find in worship, you know, I, oh, comes, I'm sort of beyond words, and probably for me, I'll start jumping up and down and, and jiggling around because somehow words aren't enough. It's not expressible enough uh, in that way. But let's just run after that, eh? Let's pursue that joy that is inexpressible, that delight in all that God has done for us. So, time is creeping on. Let's just think then about some of the kind of key lessons 
that we can draw out from the passage here. Firstly, difficult circumstances were used by God to advance the kingdom. God uses all the circumstances of our lives. For us, we may not be directly suffering persecution, but in all of our lives, there will be challenging circumstances that come. And for me, I think the anchor verse really is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purpose. You know, I absolutely believe this verse. It's a cornerstone of my life and it sustains me in tragic and difficult circumstances. And yet, you know, so often I can't even say it. You know, when we're going through those um, areas of difficulty, of challenge, it's almost too hard to believe. But it is truth. It is God's word to us that in every situation of life, God is there with us. All things work together for good. And remember my rope illustration. We don't understand. We're only we're looking at the sort of short duration of our lives. But when we see that span of eternity then actually I'm confident that what we see now starts to make sense and we start to understand. It's interesting, isn't it, that sometimes too, in the difficult seasons, more is achieved than at other times. We've thought, haven't we, whether for um, the Christians at that time, would they have gone to the places they had gone to if they hadn't had the persecution? And it makes me think a little bit about, I wonder what the opposite of persecution is. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's prosperity. Maybe it's abundance. And those are the sorts of things, actually, that can be kind of quite hindering to us in actually spreading the gospel. If those are the elements that come to define the primary motivations of our lives, if our personal well-being is what preoccupied us, actually that's going to be a limitation on the effect to which you know, God is able to use us. We do live, don't we, in a very self-centered culture. Let me challenge you. When did you recently move out of your comfort zone or even sacrifice your own comfort for the sake of the gospel? Our call then is to be faithful through in the face of the challenges that we face. Sorry, yeah, I think we should have a slide for that somewhere. Um, And I think, if you think about the disciples at that time, they could have so easily, couldn't they, turned in on themselves, said, oh, you know, it's all Stephen's fault. You know, if he hadn't spoken quite so strongly, we wouldn't be in this mess. We'd still be living in our houses. It's not really very fair. He stirred it all up. You know, you can see the way that bitterness and resentment could easily have crept into their lives. And of course, it's not wrong, I don't think, to actually have those questions, those times of real heart-searching with God. Look, God, why is this happening? You know, that's just the honesty of our lives, isn't it? But the challenge is, when we stay in that place, we need to find the way that actually we get back to recognizing the blessings of God, the rejoicing in the things that he has given us, lifting our eyes to see, if you like, the whole rope, the whole span 
of God's plan for us. We know that we have a good, good father whose heart is to bless us and to do us good. We may not understand, but we need to put our trust in him. They were bold and very courageous. In the first chapter of Acts, it says that they were told to wait for the promise of the Father and they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. We concede, can't we, the impact that that had on them. Bold and timid men like Peter were empowered. Sorry, did I say bold? Timid and fearful men like Peter uh, were empowered to speak boldly out, weren't they? Uh, To declare the gospel. There was plenty to be fearful about. The natural tendency would have been to hunker down. But they weren't having any of that. They were busy preaching the word at every opportunity. They recognized they were part of God's bigger plan to spread the gospel throughout that region. And I wonder, just as we go through our Acts of Courage series, we've got our Acts of Courage wall. How are you doing on that? How many of those stickers are representing the Acts of Courage that you have stepped into? The impact we see at this time was not because a few people did quite a few things. It was because they were all there, speaking boldly, healing the sick, casting out demons. The challenge to each of us is, what's the part for us to play? Don't leave it to other people. And they drew on the Spirit's empowering presence. It was just what they did, praying for the sick, casting out demons. How are you doing on that front? When did you last pray for someone at work? I know some of you are really good at that. You're really bold at stepping us out. But many of us are held back, aren't we? And I confess I'm not at all the most bold by a long, long way. We're held back by fear, but concern for how we look. Will they think I'm a bit odd? We need to challenge ourselves in this. Let's resolve to be quick to pray and to take every opportunity that arises. The other part I think that motivated them is that they were fulfilling the prophetic word. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I wonder how much they had that in their minds and were motivated by it. For us as a church, we've got a number of prophetic words that shape us. I think particularly of the word we had about a torch shining out to the regions around, Rye, sorry, regions around, um, Bexhill, Hawkehurst, to those areas around. And the end result is that we live with a sense of expectancy that at some time God will open up those areas for us. We keep looking for those opportunities, keep looking for God's leading and pray that as they rise, we will have the opportunity to push into those. What are the prophetic words you're carrying over your own life? How does that motivate you? Are you pushing into all that God has said for you? And finally, joy characterized their impact. We've thought about how Uh, That was an unusual response on one level at this time because of all that was happening. But I do so want us to be characterized more by joy. We've reminded, haven't ourselves, that God's joy 
is linked to gladness, thankfulness, appreciation, rejoicing in the grace of God to us. We have so much to rejoice over, church. And I believe that as we give ourselves to that, we should expect to see more joy. Joy, I believe, is our birthright, if you like. It's part of our inheritance to live more joyfully. I can still remember for myself a bit of a a breakthrough moment a few years ago. It was a time when life was really busy. I was commuting, I think, to Woking at the time, or somewhere obscure. Um, The kids were sort of, you know, all of the difficult sort of middle ages. And, you know, times were tight. It was, you know, I probably wasn't giving enough time to my family. It was all just kind of difficult um, and we had a, a meeting. It was one, um, one evening meeting, I think, the building we used to have. And we were encouraged just to shout out our thankfulness to God for each of the situations of our lives, even the more difficult ones, you know. And the fact was I had a pretty good job. I was getting paid. You know, things were working out on one level, but it was tough. And so there was, you know, a mix of sort of thankfulness in the middle of it. But you know what? It Actually, I just felt that night just something broke in my life. And I think it was just that coming to that point of thankfulness for every situation in my life. Suddenly I had a new appreciation of how God was at work in my life. Let's us resolve, shall we, to be a thankful people for all God's doing. We've got so much to be thankful for, rejoicing in our salvation. Our salvation is amazing. I mean, for some of you today, you may not have come yet to that place of saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and King. I want to trust you with my life to give you all my stress and and pain that you can replace it with your joy and your peace. But those of us who've got to that point, there's so much for us to rejoice about. If you're on the edge of that decision, I just want to challenge you today, really, This is a great day to make that decision. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our God is very good. And if you want to take the next step for yourself, come up afterwards and we can talk about that a little bit more. Perhaps for some of us, we're saying, like David, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Have you let your eyes be dragged down? Dragged down from the problems of life? Or are you focused on our saviour? Sometimes I think one of the roots to joy is to take our eyes off our own situation. Paul, uh, no, I think in the notices, we we heard that we're going to be baptising around eight people next week. Men and women, boys and girls, I'm just kind of catching their eye over there, some of them, um, are going to be baptised next week. That bold declaration, Jesus, you've changed my life. I want to follow you. And I know some of you will say, oh, I'm not quite sure who they are. It doesn't mean much to me. The angels are rejoicing over their baptisms next week. I think I want you guys to get excited about it too. It's amazing how God is working with us. God is changing lives. God is changing their town, person by person, one by one. We're going to have a great time of celebration around that next week. Come and join with us. Celebrate and rejoice over all that God is doing. The joys of healing and deliverance. One of the reasons we invite each other to fill in testimony cards 
is so that we can all share in what God is doing. God is at work and we've got tremendous testimonies of how he's healing these days. And you know what I'm learning as well, that even in those situations where God doesn't heal, where I'm still confused, when someone says, hey, I've got peace in the midst of my difficulties, you know what, that's amazing. That's almost even more amazing how God works in the midst of really challenging circumstances to bring peace and rest. And I'm learning to celebrate that too, to be so thankful when I see that actually the fruit in people's lives. Joy also is a source of strength. Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And strength and joy often go together in the Bible. Psalm 81 says, sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. It's just why I think it's one of the reasons we need to be so focused on this joy. We need strength, don't we? I do. We need strength for the challenges of life, for the situations we face. And part of the way of facing through those is actually to recover our joy, to come back to rejoicing in that God of our salvation. If you're a Christian, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can have an expectation that one of the fruits that will grow in your life will be joy. Maybe you've allowed the Spirit's work in your life to be quenched. Perhaps the cares of life have overwhelmed you. Part of your inheritance is peace and joy. Let's push back into that. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us again, to give us back our joy that's our birthright. And finally, just not allowing ourselves to be robbed of joy. Fear, unbelief, self-reliance, control. They're all the things that can have a role in robbing us of our joy. We did a bit of work on some of those areas through the empowering week uh, recently. But maybe for some of us, there's still more work to do. Let God reveal those areas where you're being robbed of joy. And let's deal with them together. And so we're going to um, go back and, and worship again in a moment. But just to summarize, really, just my sort of three kind of key thoughts to take away from this. Don't let the difficult circumstances of life cause you to lose sight of Jesus and his plans and purposes for you. When challenges come, let us respond with faith and boldness, knowing that our Father is with us in all circumstances. Give yourself to rejoicing in God so that you can know the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Amen. Let's um, have the band to come back up. Thank you. Shall I try that again? Shall we have the band to come back up? (laughs) You know, I'm believing God this morning just for a fresh touch of joy to be upon us all. It's our birthright, you know. It's our birthright, you know, to push into that. And I know that for many of us, 
you know, her eyes might have slipped down. We've lost sight, maybe, of our great salvation, of our great God. Let's worship for a bit. Let's lift our eyes. Let's pursue him for his joy. Please, yeah, let's stand.